0: Hello and welcome to Through the Bible with Les Feldick, an inspirational and informative half hour of insight into the heart of Scripture. In addition to teaching the Bible, Les is a full time rancher, having a down to earth practical teaching style that makes the Bible come to life. All programs are available on audio tape, videotape, and in printed form. At the end of the program, there will be an address where you can contact the ministry. And now, here's Les Feldick with today's lesson. The whole
1: purpose of setting aside the nation of Israel, yes, was to bring about the Messiah. That's true. But also that Israel was to be the vehicle, if I may use that word, that Israel would be the vehicle to bring these pagan Gentiles to a knowledge of Israel's Messiah. Now, keep that concept in your mind as you come all the way up through the Old Testament. God is preparing the nation of Israel, remember, to funnel back into the main river of humanity to bring them to a knowledge of their King and of their God. But, now if you got Acts 2.38 again, where we had to end so quickly last week, let's look at it once more, where Peter is preaching that Pentecostal sermon, as we call it, In Acts chapter 2, but I always like to point out, to whom is he speaking? Now, you want to remember, he's still on covenant ground. He is still referring in chapter 3, which is after chapter 2, of course, that you, he says, are the children of the covenants which God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, you and I as Gentiles aren't under those covenant promises. That was for the Jew only. All right, now then, Peter, on covenant ground, as I see it, says, verse 22, "...Ye men of Israel." Now, I don't claim to be an English major, but I can read English, and I don't see any mention of Gentiles in here. Do you? It says, "...Ye men of Israel." That's all. He doesn't say, "...And you Gentiles," or, "...And you Greeks," or, "...You Romans." He says, "You men of Israel." And then you come down to verse 25 through 30. He goes back to the Old Testament and he quotes David. Now, of course, David meant everything to a Jew. Did he mean anything to the Romans and the Greeks and the Egyptians? Nothing. So, you see, this is all Jewish-oriented. Now then, come down to verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel... Plus, all you Gentiles? No, it doesn't say that. Therefore, Peter says, let all the house of Israel, period, know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Christ, or Messiah. Now then, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, that is, unto the house of Israel, Repent and be baptized. And that's nothing different than what John the Baptist began way back there in Matthew. Jesus and the Twelve preached it. Peter is still preaching it. Repent and be baptized. But what I wanted you to see, and we saw it just at the bell last week, what are the next two words? Everyone. See? Not just 90%. Not 95%. Not a plurality. But how many? Everyone. Why? Why? Because they're all going to be priests of God if this is going to be fulfilled. I said if. It's conditional. All right. Every one of you. Now turn over the page to chapter 3, where again Peter is preaching to the same kind of a crowd. The language is identical. And here Peter and John go up to the temple, verse 1. Now, as soon as you see that word temple, what does that smack up? The law, the Jew, see? The temple is still operating. God hasn't told them to shut it down. Titus hasn't yet come and destroyed it. And so Peter and John go up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, it being the ninth hour. And, of course, they heal the lame man. And when they heal the lame man, which, of course, was an extension of the healing powers that Jesus and the twelve practiced. And Jesus told them that they would have this power. And so it shouldn't have shook them up, but it did. They got all shook up. And then... Verse 11, And as the lame man who was healed held Peter and John, all the people... Now, who are the people again? All these Jews. All the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's. greatly... What? Wondering. What are they wondering about? How was this man healed? Now, Peter says to that Jewish crowd, when he saw it, he answered to the people, Ye men... Of what? Israel. See? Now, I'm not twisting. I'm not putting anything in there that's in there, and I'm not going to take it away. It says, Ye men of Israel. Now, that's English. Plain English. There's no gobbledygook about it. Now, you know, when you read some of this stuff from the IRS and from the government, that's gobbledygook. I mean, nobody can understand that. But listen, this is plain English. Ye men of Israel. Hear this. Now, verse 13. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. The God of Jacob. Now, did that mean anything to Gentiles? No. Nothing. But what did it mean everything to? The Jew. And so Peter is applying all this to his fellow people, the Jew, the Israelites. And then he comes on through. And again, everything he says has nothing to do with Gentiles, has everything to do with Israel. But now I'd like to have you come all the way down to verse 26. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you. Now, who are included in that pronoun you? Jew only. As yet, Jew only. In turning away. Now, here's the reason I came to this verse. What are the next two words? How many? And what does every one mean? It means what it says. Every single Jew that was on the planet at the time that Peter is preaching had to come to a recognition that Jesus was their Messiah. Now, had they have done so, had they have the last Jew said, yes, we believe that Jesus, the one we crucified, is raised from the dead, He is our King, what would God have done? Oh, He would have sent the King, they could have had the kingdom, and then what could have every Jew become? A priest. Now, isn't that plain? Then every Jew would have become a priest to now funnel out, fan out, into all of the Gentile nations. Now, just come back with me to Zechariah, verse we've looked at, but I know it takes a long time for these things to sink in. Now, come back to Zechariah chapter 8. Remember, Zechariah is the next to last book of your Old Testament, so just find Matthew and then go back to the left through Malachi, and there's Zechariah. Doesn't hide that hard at all. All right, Zechariah chapter 8. Verse 20. Now, remember, this is all in the prophetic program of God dealing with the nation of Israel, preparing them after they have come under the law, which we're going to see, if not in this half hour, in the next one, where Paul says in Galatians that the law was given to the nation of Israel to be a tutor, a schoolmaster. Well, why do we tutor kids? To prepare them for a future role in society. Why do we set up schoolmasters? To prepare kids for a future role. See? Now then, Zechariah 8, verse 20, "...Thus saith the Lord of hosts, it shall yet come to pass." Now remember, this is before Israel rejected it all, and God turns to the Gentiles a different way. But here, according to the Old Testament prophecy, He said, "...Thus saith the Lord of hosts, it shall yet come to pass, that there shall come people." And the inhabitants of many cities and the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord, that is, before Jehovah, and to seek the Lord of hosts. I'll go also, yea, many people and strong, what? Nations, Nations. see? all oh, God intended for the, na- for the Jew to circumvent the globe. And bring the nations of the world to a knowledge of the God of Israel. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts where? In Jerusalem. See? In Jerusalem. On the planet. And to pray before the Lord. Now, verse 23, here it says it all Thus saith the Lord of hosts, not Zechariah, not Moses, not Paul. Or anybody else. But who says it? The Lord of hosts. In those days. What days? When Israel could have been every Jew a priest. When Israel would have had her king in her midst in Jerusalem. In those days had it come. Now remember, Israel rejected it. And she didn't experience it. But it was still a valid prophetic promise that in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages. Now, that means out of every dialect. Now, you know, some nations have got boo dialects throughout all their various backgrounds. There wouldn't be a one of them that wouldn't be able to understand. That ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt, Of him that is a what? A Jew. Why? Oh, because he's a priest. He's a go-between. He's the one that can take them and bring them to a knowledge of their God. See? Now, remember, this was all the prospect. This is what God offered back here in Exodus 19, that they would be a kingdom of priests. And you can't have a kingdom without the king. And so here they've got it. (coughs) And they could have had it. "...even shall take hold of the skirt of the Jews, saying, We will go with you." Why? For we have heard that God is where? With you. Now, in that plain, this was the prospect for the nation of Israel, that they could have had the king and the kingdom, and every Jew would have been a priest, and the nations of the world would have just literally clung to a Jew in order to get to Jerusalem and have a knowledge of Israel's God. Now, I said that was their prospect. But they, I don't like to use the word over much, but they blew it. They rejected all that when they just couldn't believe who Jesus really was. And so God permitted the destruction of the temple and Israel was sent into a dispersion, a spiritual blindness nationally. I said nationally now, remember. And personally, a Jew can still be saved like a Gentile is. But the nation of Israel lost all these promises from the Old Testament and God without Israel. Now, in that light, I said back to Exodus, another verse just comes to mind, and we've got to take them as they come. Go back with me to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. It says it all. <coughs> Romans chapter 11 And I'd like to have you come down to verse 11, Romans 11, verse 11, where Paul is now writing again to us Gentiles, and he's explaining how it all came about. I say then, have they, that is, the nation of Israel, Have they stumbled that they should fall? In other words, like a lot of people like to teach, that God's all through with the Jew, He's all through with the nation of Israel, and He's given everything over to the church. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. That's some man-made concoction that has no basis in fact whatsoever. God is not through with the nation of Israel. And the news every day, as I mentioned last week, I think, that verifies it. God's not through with Israel. She's back in the land. Oh, she hasn't got it all. But one day she will have. God has not forgotten His covenant promises. But until then, she's out in a spiritual blindness. She's in a dispersion. Now, here it is. Have they stumbled that they should fall, God forbid, or banish the thought? But rather, through their fall. Through all that happened in their rejecting all these prospects, through their fall, salvation went where? To the Gentile, See? To the Gentile, Through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. And, of course, the church failed in that as well because instead of provoking Israel to jealousy, she made enemies of them. She alienated them. And it isn't until, I think, the last 20 or 30 years that a lot of the religious Jews are recognizing that the, the true biblical Christian, the true believer in the finished work of Christ is still the best friend that Israel's ever had. And even the Israeli government is beginning to realize it. And uh, Teddy Kollek, the uh, mayor of Jerusalem, has recognized that so many of these true Christian groups, especially out of America, are indeed the best friends that the nation of Israel has. And so here it is, that through their fall, when they rejected all of this, salvation came to us Gentiles. And then verse 12, I don't dare go back to Exodus without reading verse 12. Now if the fall of them In other words, when they rejected all this during that 40 years of the book of Acts and they ended up losing their temple and going into a dispersion. Now, if all of that became the riches of the Gentile world, that is, by virtue of the gospel coming to us, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their what? Their fullness. Oh, Israel's glory is still in the future. They're still going to be the apple of His eye. But, of course, they're going to go through some terrible times before that happens. All right, now then, if you'll come back to Exodus, again, chapter 19. Never lose sight of this verse. I I think, again, it's it's a benchmark verse. That if they would be obedient, and if they would do all that God commanded them, they would become a kingdom of priests, a holy, a set-apart nation. Now, verse 7. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people, <clears throat> and he laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. Now, verse 8. i highlight this one, underline it, and look what it says. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken we will... What's the word? Do. See? What are they asking for? Law. See? They're asking for law without realizing what they're asking for. And they tell Moses, whatever God says, we will do it. See, now that's legalism. That's legalism. Whatever we are asked to do, that we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Now, I think I've got time to just take one little look at Genesis uh, Exodus 20 where we have the giving of the Ten Commandments as we understand them. And before we even look at the Ten Commandments, I I want to take what minutes we've got left in this half hour to, to show why the law was really given. Now, as you look in chapter 20, verse 1, the second word in that verse is, and what? God, G-O-D, not the Lord, not Jehovah, which is usually the name associated with God dealing with Israel. As a rule, all the way through this dealing with Israel, it's the Lord said, Jehovah. But here we come back to the triune God. Now, do you think that's an accident? No, no word of Scripture is, and unless it happens to be a, an error, and that's always possible in a translation. But this is no error. And God said, and then you come down to verse 2, and we come back to the normal uh, approach to the nation of Israel from God. And what is it? Lord God. All right, now let's come back to the God of verse 1. Why do you suppose it's God instead of the Lord God or Jehovah? Well, go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Now, remember what I just said, that Jehovah was the name that was particularly that which associated God with His people Israel. Jehovah was the name that always was associated God and Israel. Now, the term God, you see, transcends Israel and goes over to who? Everybody. 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 The triune God is that which with every nation of the world has to deal. Now, look at Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Now, Paul writes, we know. And I like that word know. I mean, there's no reason to have any doubts about any of this. You should understand this completely and clearly. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law now let me ask you a question who was under the law the jew see so the law speaketh to them who were under the uh, yeah the law spoke to those who were under the law that was the jew but now go on that what's the next word every mouth might be stopped now where do we go well, you go beyond the nation of Israel and you go to the whole human race. See? And that's why the Ten Commandments start out with, And God said, not Jehovah, just to the nation of Israel now, but the triune Elohim said, And now this law, even though it was given to those who would be under it, yet, Paul says here in this verse, that even though it was to those who were under the law, yet, This same law will stop how many mouths? Every mouth. So then, does the law condemn you and I as Gentiles or just a Jew? Everybody, see? Everybody comes under the condemnation of the law. Not just Israel. Now, let's read on again. That every mouth may be stopped, and all the world might be made fit for heaven. Uh -uh. Isn't that what everybody thinks? How many people of your own friends and neighbors, a lot of good church people, have somehow got an idea in their head that if they can just keep the commandments, it'll fit them for heaven. You know it. I know it. I don't know how many people I've had tell me, especially if they happen to be business people, that people will come into their place of business and they happen to start talking about these things and they're shocked about how many people here in the Bible Belt have still got an idea that if they can just keep the commandments to the best of their ability, God's going to let them into His heaven. But you see, that's not what this verse says. This verse doesn't say that the law was given that they might be made fit for heaven. The law was given for only one purpose and what was it? To make them guilty. Now, the other thing you have to remember about the law, it was holy, it was perfect, it was righteous from God's point of view. What was it to mankind? It was weak, it was fleshly, it was beggarly. Why? Now, just think for a moment. Why was the law weak and beggarly? Because the law had no inside power to help the doer keep it. All the law could do was condemn. That's all. It could never take the person and say, Well, now, I say that you cannot steal, and I will help you to keep from stealing. The law can't do that. The law has no power to help a person. Keep the law. In fact, I think psychologically it's quite the opposite. You tell a little kid now, don't you go through that door. As soon as you turn your back, what's he going to do? He's going to try it because he's, I want to know what's the inside of that door. <laughs> now, are we any different? No. So just as soon as the law said, thou shalt not commit adultery, what does the average human mentality say? Hey, there must be something about it that I might like. And so what does he think he has to do? He has to try it. Now, that's the reverse psychology. But you see, the law has absolutely no way of helping us keep the law. Now, when you come under grace, I always say grace isn't license, but you see what the difference is? When you come in under grace, just as soon as we believe in what God has done for us, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And now what do we have? Now we have power. Now we have something working from within that will help us keep these very laws of God. See? Now, granted, we don't keep the law for salvation, but we become law keepers. Why? As a result of our salvation, and we now have power to keep those laws because of the indwelling Spirit of God. Now, you see, the Old Testament believer didn't have that. All he had was the demands of the law with no power whatsoever to help him keep it. And so always remember that, that the law demanded and they had no way of an indwelling power to keep
0: it. Thank you for joining us again for Through the Bible with Les Felding. If you'd like to order audio tapes, videos, or any of our printed material, you may do so by writing Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. That's Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. Or you can call us toll-free if you'd like at 1-800-369-7856. That's one 1-800- 800 Three six nine seven eight five six. Remember, this is a faith ministry, and your participation with us is greatly appreciated. Again, our address is Les Feldick Ministries, Route One, Box seven sixty, Kenta, Oklahoma, seven four five five two, and our phone is one eight hundred three six nine seventy eight fifty six. Thanks again for listening, and please join us next time for Through the Bible with Les Feldick.